first, I wanna say welcome. My name is Byron. I get the great honor to be able to serve here as a lead pastor. And for those of you who are guests, I wanna say thank you so much for spending your Sunday morning with us. You could be anywhere in Southeast Texas, including in bed, uh, but you decided to wake up and join us for church today. Hey, in the seat back in front of you, there is one of these little connect cards. Anytime throughout the service, go ahead and fill it out. And then I would love to be able to meet you at the connect desk after the service to get to know you a little bit better, just to say hi and hopefully help redemption feel more like home. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts, and we are in week 15 this week, and we're going to be here for a while. Uh, but while you're going ahead and grab your Bible, do me a favor and just hold, hold it up real quick. Hold up your Let me see all them Bibles in the room where my Bible people at, right? Hold it up high. Now we know who the real Christians are. Um, <laughs> If you did not bring your Bible to church, shame on, no, I'm just kidding. Um, we're gonna have it up on the screens, but do me a favor, pull out your fake Bible on your phone, all right? Let me see all of your, your Bibles. Hold them up high, let me see it. This is God's word, this word is true, it is trustworthy, it tells me who God is and who I am because of who he is. I build my life on the foundation of the word of God. At Redemption, we love the Bible. Now, hold your Bible up, keep it up, keep it up. I see everybody put it down now. Hold it up a little bit longer, do me a favor and pull out your wallets. Go ahead, now you're a little nervous, right? Go ahead and pull out your wallet. Guys, get your wallet. Ladies, grab your husband's wallet. Um, and what we're gonna do today is we're gonna read our Bible with our wallets. We're gonna see what God's word has to say about our wallets because today the sermon title is Why Do Churches Talk About Money? Today we're gonna be talking about finances, money, generosity, and I always try to come up with super catchy, clever sermon titles. And so I just decided to name it what everybody in the room's thinking, why do churches talk about money? And, and there's a lot of reasons why we do so, um, but the primary reason that we do so is because the Bible talks about money. If you're taking notes, which we're a note-taking church, so go ahead and get that note sheet out. Here's the first thing that I want you to know, is that if it, it's in God's word, it's for your good. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God's word is not only a true word, but it's also a good word? That it's not just true news, it's good news that we serve a God who is good, who leads us and guides us into paths of life and of righteousness, that God wants better for us than we want for ourselves, that God created the universe and he knows the best way in which it is to operate, that God wants good for us and that's why he shared his word to us because if it's in God's word, it's for your good. And when it comes to the subject of teaching on money, I've learned as a pastor that there's only a handful of subjects that really get a lot of resistance from people, and that's speaking in tongues, sexual sin, and money. And so at Redemption, we're not shy. I mean, we talk about all of the above, and so today we're going to talk about money, and we're going to talk primarily about generosity within the local church, because if it's in God's word, then it is also for our good. So why does the church talk about money? Well, first and foremost, because the Bible talks about money, but the second thing is, it's because you think about money all the time. There's no problems like money problems, right? 
the stress and the hurry and the anxiety that comes from having money. And, 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 or, or not having money, amen? Right? I believe it was the, the great philosopher Snoop Dogg that says, my mind is on my money and my money is on my mind. Like We all relate to that, don't we? Because when we go to work and our bills are due, it's, it's financial stress. If you're buying a house, there's so many different variables that go into it. It's financial stress. Or maybe when you have kids and, and you're like, I can't wait to have kids. And then you get the bill from the hospital and how expensive they are. And they haven't even done anything yet. Right? And then they grow up and they get even more expensive. And then they go to college. And then you're saving for retirement. And by the end of your life, you have no money left. Um, that's just kind of how... How it goes, one of the number one reasons for divorce in America is because of financial pressures and stress. And so the Bible talks about money because it knows that it's a great place of anxiety and frustration in many people's lives. And so because the Bible talks about it and God talks about it, therefore the church is to talk about it. And Jesus talks about money. Here's what Jesus says. No man can serve two masters. He will either love one or hate the other. Therefore, you cannot serve both God and money. In our culture, what do people do? Do people in our culture serve God or do they serve money? Right? Because we have two choices. We can either worship God with our money or we can worship money as our God. And we don't get to choose between the two. We have to make one decision. And for our culture, they worship money as God. But in the church, we should be able to learn how to worship God when it comes to our money. And so we're going to see a great example of that happen in the book of Acts today. We're in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 31. And we're going to learn about the generosity, the way that the early church viewed and used money to be able to further the mission that God has called them to. And so if you have your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Here's what it says. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me give you a little context. So it's the early church, the first couple of years since the church started, and they've been facing some persecution. So they all gather together. They have a prayer meeting, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. The place is shaken, and then as they're filled with the Spirit, they continue to preach the Word of God with boldness. It goes forward. Now the full number of those who were believed were of one heart, one soul, and no one said that they had anything that belonged to them was their own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and a great grace was upon them all. When you see that word great in the book of Acts, it is supernatural. It, it literally means otherworldly. It was something that was not natural, supernatural, the work of the Holy Spirit. And a great grace, a supernatural favor was resting upon the church. The blessings of God was upon them. And then it says, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands and houses, they uh, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called uh, by the apostles Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, the purpose for us studying the book of Acts is that way we can learn what God did then so then we can apply those lessons to our church now. One of the things you need to understand when it comes to reading the Bible is this is not just an old word, it's an eternal word. 
that it's just as true for them then as it is for us today. That the Bible is not just a bunch of stories that happened a long time ago and have no impact on our lives today. No, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so what we've been saying through this series is if God did it then, God can do it now. If God did it for them, then God can also do it for us. You gotta understand that, that the book of Acts is not a history book. It is a legacy book. And we're going back to the first church and we're learning the legacy that they left and they passed down for generations so that way we can receive the legacy that we can also leave the legacy. And the the church has grown for 2,000 years to the point that it reached us here in Beaumont, Texas. And so what is the legacy, the type, the style, the health of the early church and how can we learn and apply that here to our church? Because as we're studying the book of Acts, the goal for us is that it is going to lead us all the way up to the grand opening of our brand new building. For those of you who are new, maybe you don't know that or not, but we bought a building and we're going to be renovating and working on this new property. Construction is going to start very soon. So pardon the mess. We're being blessed, right? And so get your hard hats ready because construction is going to begin soon. It's going to take us about 18 months until we have our grand opening. And while we're working on building this physical building, the Lord laid it on my heart that he doesn't want us just to build a building. He wants us to build a spiritual house because that's what a church is. A church is not a building. It's a family. It's not a place. It's a a people. And so in the same way that we're doing construction on a physical building, God is doing spiritual construction on us as a church. That's why we're studying in the book of Acts. And when I come to the Bible, I, I look at the early church, and one of the things that stands out that is so remarkable about the culture that they had is they were radically generous. Extremely. I mean, look what it says right here. It says in verse 34 that there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of houses and lands, they sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold. True or false? That's generous, right? That is outrageously generous. And when it comes to giving, people always ask me, they're like, okay, well, um, pastor, how much is a person supposed to give? Is it 10%, which is a tithe, first and best? Do I give God, you know, my, my leftovers? Like how much of, uh, of my money do I give God? If, if the service was good, do I give a tip or do I plan it out by giving a tithe? A little $20 here or plan giving there. Like which one is it? How much of my money do I give to God? And I think that's the wrong question. The question shouldn't be how much of my money do I give God, but how much of God's money do I keep? Because when it comes to an understanding of finances, God owns everything. It's all his. The Bible says the silver is mine, the gold is mine, thus saith the Lord. Everything belongs to him and he shares it generously with us. That's what they said. It said they did not consider anything that there was their own because they recognized that everything they had was a gift from God. Therefore, they were free to be able to be generous towards one another. Here's the way that I would say it like this, is that God doesn't just give to you, he gives through you. Like God doesn't want to just give to you so you can spit it on yourself. No, no, no. God doesn't raise our standard of living. He raises our standard of giving. God gives to us so that way he can give through us to be able to meet the needs of those who are living in and around us. God doesn't just give to us, but rather God gives through us. We are blessed to be a blessing to those who are in our vicinity. That's why God gives. I mean, I I think God could do whatever he wants to do. 
Like God can, God can meet needs any way he wants. Like if there's a single mom who is going to buy groceries, she could be walking up in the H-E-B parking lot and she could find $100 on the ground. Like she could do that. Like God could just, you know, just materializes a $100 bill right there for her. Praise God, glory, hallelujah. Right? I, I, I think that maybe there, there might be a, a family who's in need and they're, they're stressing on paying their rent and they go to check their bank account and all of a sudden, oh, there's God, an angelic uh, banker just dropped their rent in their bank account. Praise Jesus for that, right? Hallelujah. But I've discovered that's just not the way that God often works. Like how does God help people? Through people. How does God bless people? Through people. How does God work in people's lives? He works through people. Do you know why God does it that way? Because when we partner with God, two people are blessed. You're blessed to be able to give, and they're blessed when they receive. There's a double blessing. Jesus says it like this later in Acts. It's more blessed to what? Give than it is to receive. So there is a blessing that comes with our, our giving. When we recognize that God owns everything and he shares it generously with us, then it's going to be a joy for us to be generous to help meet the needs of others. And when we view finances through this lens, like the early church did, that God gives to me to give through me, it will enable a radical generosity. And so let's take a look at some things that we can learn from the early church. The first thing is this. Uh, generosity is a mark of the Holy Spirit. I always say in order to understand the text, you have to understand the? There we go. One, one, one man in the back paying attention. All right. What's the context of this situation? They were all just filled with the Holy Spirit. It starts off by saying this. And they prayed together and they were filled with? The Holy Spirit. Generosity is a mark of the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Because generosity is not natural to us, right? I mean, I have a, a six-year-old and a three-year-old. The first words that they learned was mine. You don't have to teach a kid how to be greedy, do you? No, they just know how to do it, and they do it really good. You have to teach a kid how to be what? Generous. You have to teach a kid how to share. You have to teach a kid how to be kind, because it's not natural. It's not in our natural inclination. Everybody wants to know what's in it for me. What do I get out of this? How can I be comfortable? Right? How, how does this benefit me? That's, that's the world that we live in. That's what's natural. But generosity is something that happens that is supernatural. It's whenever there's an overflow of the spirit of God that results in an overflow of generosity on behalf of the people of God. That's what generosity is. And, and most of the people in our culture, man, if you ask anybody, hey, are you generous? Nine out of 10, they'd be like, yes, I'm very generous. Check their bank account, not very generous. Right? Our whole social media is a bandwagon virtue signaling culture. Every cause, every trend, every hashtag, support this organization. I'm so generous. Look at me. Hashtag with the filter. <laughs> Meanwhile, we live in the least generous generation in American history. Because what people think is generous is just giving five bucks or a retweet. The definition of generous actually means giving beyond what is expected or required. So it's not just giving what you can, it's giving as God enables. That's generosity. And generosity is an overflow of the Holy Spirit because it's something supernatural that God does to change our hearts from a taker to a giver, for people who only focus on our needs 
to focusing on the needs of others. I'll tell you how I became a giver. First three years that I became a Christian, I didn't give anything to my local church. Never gave a dime. I was going to call this sermon, I don't give a dime. Uh, (laughs) And one day during prayer and worship, the Holy Spirit convicted me. He said, Byron, do you love your church? I said, absolutely, I love my church. He said, well, why don't you give to your church? And I said, why don't you mind your own business? (laughs) But the church is God's business. It's the only thing that Jesus left behind. And it's what Jesus is coming back for. And so I went home and I started making a plan to start, to start giving. And me and Ashley, we learned how to be givers. And by God's grace, we're still givers 20 years later. And every year we try to give a little bit more. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has convicted me of that subject. And one of the reasons why I think people get so offended around the subject of giving is because the Holy Spirit's really convicting them. And they're resisting the work of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants to give through them and they're quenching the Spirit of God from working in their life. So the Spirit of God desires for us to be givers. Here's the way that I would say it. Spirit-filled believers are spirit-led givers. When you're filled with the Spirit, man, generosity is an overflow of what God's done in your life. Spirit-filled believers are spirit-led givers. And here's what I've discovered is that the Spirit always leads me to give more than what I think I can. Like anytime I'm like, God, how much should I give? I'm like, I can't do that. Why? Because there has to be an act of faith that goes along with giving. God, you're never going to lead me somewhere and ask me to do something that, that, that you're going to let me down on. He's going to make a way possible so that way you can experience his grace and goodness in your life as you are being God's grace and goodness in the life of another person. The second thing is this, is that generosity is a continuation of the mission. It says here that they were able to preach the word of God with boldness. And then in verse 34, it adds this. It says that a great number of them, they continued to, with great power, preach on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. How are they able to preach with such boldness? How are they able to see so many baptisms and see people be saved and see all those lives change? Because they weren't worried about their finances. I get the privilege to be able to preach with boldness here at Redemption because of the heart of the generous people who call Redemption home. You know, there's a a lot of churches or pastors who don't have the liberties and freedoms to say what I say up here on the pulpit. We say a lot of stuff, we cover a lot of subjects, and we teach with great boldness. And I'm not worried about people getting up and walking out in my sermons, which they do on a regular basis, because the heart of the people who call Redemption Home are so generous, I don't have to worry about if somebody leaves, are we going to be able to make budget this month? And so I get the privilege to be able to stand here and just preach the word of God with boldness. I can say that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Anyone apart from him is destined for an eternity to hell. Repent, turn, give your life to Jesus. He will set you free. He will forgive you. He will love you. He will save you. He will change you. Jesus is the same. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man can come to the Father but by me. You're not saved by your great works. You're saved by his grace. I could say that with freedom. Because I know that people in this church give. Listen, boldness is what leads people to Jesus. And at Redemption, we see people meet Jesus every single week. 
We see lives changed. We see marriages restored. We see people be healed. We see addictions be broken and people be delivered. We see it every single week. And it's amazing to be able to see how God is moving. And that's only primarily done because of the generosity of the people who call redemption home. Boldness leads people to Jesus. And unfortunately, there are a lot of pastors and churches who are so afraid financially that they're cowards when it comes to biblically preaching. Not here at Redemption. Thank you so much for that. Uh, the third thing I would say is it's a sign of unity. Uh, look, look how it, it talks about here. It says they were all one heart, one soul, one mind. They were all in one accord. Now, we covered this last week um, when we looked at it. That doesn't mean they had everything in common as if they all wore the same clothes and voted for the same person and they all spoke the same language and they all raised their kids in the same homeschool co-op. Uh, that's not what it means that they had everything in common. But what it means is they had a common purpose. They learned to lay aside their preferences for a greater purpose than themselves. And that's what generosity does. It, it, it breeds this, this unity because we recognize it's not about what I want. It's about what God leads us. And so we're able to lay aside our preferences and we come together as a church and we give generously because we seem the same purpose. What's the purpose of Redemption Church? It's very simple. We have it on the wall in the lobby to help people experience life change through Jesus. And all of our ministries have one goal, life change through Jesus. So I'm going to give you some behind the scenes throughout this message just so you can understand how the church functions. And if you're a guest here and you're like, oh, great, I came on the money sermon. Um, you're a guest, okay? And so you're sitting with our family right now and you're getting to see how the family operates. It's a little family meeting and you're getting to look behind the scenes at what makes redemption so special, all right? And so here's how we order our finances here at the church based upon this verse on church unity. So if you go to other churches, um, there's different ways in which people budget. One of the ways that we've chosen to do it is by practicing something called a one fund. It's one big pot where all the money goes, and then we budget out accordingly based upon last year's expenses what each ministry gets to operate. And, and this allows us to be able to be unified in our objectives of, of preaching the gospel. Okay, so for example, there'll be some churches, well, they'll have a big long list, go to their giving page. You can give to the women's ministry, you can give to the men's ministry, you can give to the kids' ministry, you can give to the youth ministry, you can give to missions, you can give to the building, you can give to the general fund, you can give to the senior citizen saints of underwater basket weaving on Saturday nights. Like, you can give to this whole long list of different things. And what happens then is you get a church that is no longer unified because people only give to their pet projects. Oh, I really love youth. Meanwhile... There's no money in the benevolence fund to help somebody who can't pay their rent. Or I, I love the new building. I don't really care about missions, though. So I'm just not going to give to missions. When we were in our building project, we actually had people who were like, hey, what if we don't give to missions right now and we put all that money into the new building? I said, we're not doing that. And oftentimes it's things like missions that get overlooked in a church because you don't really get to see it. And so people pick their favorite ministries, and that's what they give to. That's not what we do here at Redemption. What we do is we do this thing called budgeting, right? If you don't have one, get one. And, and we base on our, our, our annual expenses on last year's expenses. And so if last year they spent this, then this year we're going to give them this, and then we budget accordingly. Why? Because 
the kids' ministry has the same vision as the small group's ministry, as the worship ministry, as the greeter ministry, as the preaching ministry, is what? Life change, baby. Every ministry has the same mission and objective to help people meet Jesus. And so that's how we budget and govern our church like that. The, the fourth thing is this, is that generosity is evidence of, of loving. It, it says here there was not a single needy person among them because they were all selling their houses and giving their possessions and taking char- care of each other. See, why on earth would people do it that way? Like in our, in our day and age, how, how, what, would, what would the world look like at us? And they're like, look at how generous those people are. Why are they meeting everybody? Don't they know that's the government's job to do that? It's the government's job to, to, to pay people's student loans off, right? It's the government's job to be able to create social security welfare nets so that way people don't have to pay their bills or get groceries, right? Isn't that the government's job? No, that's God's people's job. And we live in a society who put more faith in the government than they put faith in God. They're taking care. Why, why would they do that? You know why? Because they loved each other so much. Giving is evidence of, of loving. Like you give to the things that you love. Like if you love your family, you give to your family. If you love your kids, you give to your kids. If you love Chick-fil-A, you give them their money, right? <laughs> For a soggy chicken sandwich and some liquid gold. Like, right? If you love it, you give to it. Because giving is evidence of, of loving. Now, who do we love here? We love Jesus. And what does Jesus love? People. They asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? If you were to sum the whole Bible up into one sentence, what would it be? Here's what he says. Love God, love people. So do you love God? Then you give to God. And what does God love? God loves people. And so we, we give to people. Here's the thing, redemption, is we should give to the things that Jesus loves. What did Jesus give his life for? People. Ephesians says this, that that a husband is to love his wife like Jesus loves the church. Jesus loves the church. That's why I give to the church. Jesus loves people. That's why I give to people. And when we give to the church, we're we're giving and helping bless and meet the needs of, of people. I want to give to the things that are going to last eternally. Like whenever I buy a new pair of shoes or we go out to eat or we go on vacation, like those things are great things. They're good things, paying off our mortgage, like paying off my student loans, all those things. Those are good things, but they're all going to burn in the end. They're, they're, just, they're just temporary. I want to put my money somewhere that's eternal. Right? A lot of times people are thinking financially, they're like, I need to make financial decisions so I can be set up for success in the next 10 years. That's great, but it's too small. You shouldn't just be thinking 10 years in the future. You should be thinking 10 billion years in the future. How this is going to affect eternity. And when we give, we're giving to the things that Jesus loves. I give to the church because I love the church. I got saved in a church. I got married in a church. I got baptized in a church. Right, me and my wife, we grew in our marriage because of a local church. I was discipled in a local church. I was called into ministry in a local church. My, my kids are being raised in redemption kids right now. I want them to love the church, and so I'm going to give to the church. I see people be baptized every single year. I see the lives that are being changed, and when I see it, I give to it because I love to see it. I love the church, unapologetically pro-church. I love the church. And so I give to the church because it's the only thing that's going to last forever. So I love to give to the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus loves people. 
So at Redemption, we love people. And that's why we, we give so generously back into the community that we serve in. Like today, we have the Hope Women's Clinic in the house. Can we give it up for the Hope Women's Clinic? So why, why, why does the Hope Women's Clinic matter so much? Here's what they do. They're a crisis pregnancy center for, for women who are in need. This year, they're going to serve over 4,000 women with ultrasounds, STD tests, getting kids change of clothes, formula. All of it is completely free. How do they do that? Because people like you and me, we give to it. And, and at Redemption, we, we support this ministry. This goes back to the boldness thing. At Redemption Church, we're not just pro-life, we're anti-abortion. And it's one thing for us to post about it on social media and to say it publicly. It's another thing to show it through our generosity. It's not enough for us to say, oh, we are anti-abortion. We need to put our money where our mouth is. And we need to support these women from the, from the womb to the tomb. And so that's what we do here at Redemption. Really briefly, here's why this matters to me. Because whenever Ashley was pregnant with Esther, we went to the doctor and we were so excited to take our test. And when we went and got our scans, the doctor came back and we were at UTMB and they said, oh, uh, your daughter's going to have spinal bifida and Down syndrome. We recommend you terminate. It's the first words out of the mouth of the doctors. We said, no, we're going to get a second opinion. And we went to the Hope Women's Clinic. And they told us that the markers were two weeks off. Our daughter didn't have Down syndrome or spinal bifida. The doctors read the status wrong. But I wonder how many other women were coerced out of fear into terminating a perfectly healthy child. The Hope Clinic saves lives. And so because of what you guys do, thank you, because of what you guys do and what you guys give, we're able today to bless them with $10,000 as of today. We love women and children and men and family and life because that's what Jesus loves. And so we can be a part of that through our giving because that's, that's what it is. It's evidence of, of loving. Number five, uh, it, it's a requirement for leadership. We meet this man here named Barnabas. We see him last week. You can go back and listen online. But, but Barnabas is a leader in the church. He never writes a book of the Bible, but he disciples Paul, who writes half of the New Testament. He's a leader of the church in Antioch. He, he's a big deal. And where do we first meet him? With an act of radical generosity. Why? Because generosity is a requirement for leadership. Now, listen. Um, uh, generosity doesn't qualify you for leadership, but a lack of generosity will disqualify you from leadership. Right, we don't just put people in leadership positions because they give. They have to be qualified. But if a leader is not a giver, then they're not qualified for leadership. Here's the way that we would say it. If giving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you. Because there's, there's a lot of people who they're like, I want to be a leader. But yet they are not servants. And they are not givers. And leaders lead by example. And there is no way that we could ever expect somebody to do something that we're not willing to do ourselves. You know what that's called? Hypocrisy. Come back next week. We're going to talk about it more as we learn about Ananias and Sapphira. But I want you to know that, that generosity is not, you don't have to give anything to come to redemption. 
Like, church is free. We didn't charge you on the way in. There's not like a little turnstile. You have to submit your ticket and pay $20 to be able to get a seat. Like, I love it when church folk are like, you're sitting in my seat. You didn't buy this seat, right? It doesn't have your name on it. No, it came out of the one fund. Uh, and so you can sit anywhere you want. <laughs> Because because we don't don't pay or charge people to come to church. Now, is giving a requirement for membership? No. People can become members who haven't given. The expectation is once you become a member, then you would participate in generosity towards us. Because why would you want to be a member of something that you're not even giving to? Like, that's just kind of strange. Like, your heart is in the mission, man. But, But here's the thing. It's like, what about leadership? The answer is yes. Right, because we can't put somebody in a position of leadership that hasn't taken spiritual ownership of the teams and the ministries they lead. It, it, it's a, he's a leader, but more than that, he's a, he's a giver. So for those of you who aspire to leadership in the church, like this is probably maybe an area in which God wants you to be able to grow and to develop in. But it's not just for church, it's also for, for your family. Like, men, if you want to be a spiritual leader in your home, you got to practice generosity towards your wife and kids. Right? If you want to get a promotion at work, you're not going to get a promotion by doing less. You're going to get a promotion because you put in more. It's, the principle is applicable to everything. And generosity is not just always with your finances, sometimes with your talent or with your time or with your words. But if you want to be a leader, you have to develop givers. Why? Because if, if giving is beneath you, then leadership is beyond you which leads to our sixth point, and this is so important, I'm gonna spend the most time on this one, is that generosity establishes trust. Look how it closes. It says this, it says, where did they put the offering at? The apostles' feet. How weird, right? Like imagine if we're like, ushers, you're not needed because everybody's gonna bring their money and lay it here at my feet. Makes you feel uncomfortable, right? You want to come and lay your offering at my feet while I'm preaching? Here you go, pastor. No, if we did that here at Redemption, somebody would take a picture, post it on Instagram, and I would be canceled, right? (laughs) Toxic, abusive, spiritual leadership. I can't believe it. They didn't have a problem with it. How many of y'all want to be a biblical church? You want to be a biblical church? All right, go home, sell your house, and bring me all the money. (laughs) You're like, uh, I think I'm going to rethink that, right? So there's another lesson that we can learn from this, and here's what it is. The level of trust that they have to have with their leaders when it comes to giving. That takes a lot of trust to say, here you go, I'm going to just lay that at your feet. At Redemption, we want to be trustworthy when it comes to stewarding the, the finances that you trust us with. Because we know that it's not your money, it's God's money, and God's giving through you, and so we want to make sure that we are doing our best to be good stewards of, of that. Here's the way that we would say it, is that transparency is the currency of trust. Hey, when you know that your money's going to a good cause and it's being stewarded well, doesn't it make you feel more confident when it comes to, to giving? Because transparency is the, the currency of, of trust. And so as trust increases, then generosity increases along with it. So let me explain to you a little bit about how this works here at Redemption. Because I had somebody one time, they were like, well, the reason I don't give is because you get all the money. I wish. <laughs> that would be great. Me and my 2010 Toyota Yaris sure would say thank you. Because um, it's got 200,000 miles on it, and our drummer had to replace the air conditioner. 
No, I don't get all the money. In fact, I don't even set my salary. We have a board of outside overseers who, based on a national average, set my salary based upon church size. I don't even get a say in what I get paid. So other people set it. In addition, we have outside board of overseers. We have internal elders and trustees that we've been raising up, and they're going to be presented to us in a few months. Beyond that, the moment your giving comes here, um, we have ushers who collect it, put it in a safety deposit box. They count it on Monday with a trustee, and then they deposit it into the bank. Me and Ashley, we don't touch a dime. We don't see any of it. At the end of every month, I get a, uh, I get a profit loss margin. This is what you spent. This is what came in. And then I have some edits that I have to make for the upcoming month so we can stay within our operating budget. So I, I don't touch any of the money. Um, and then beyond that, when our church was small, we used to have an outside accounting firm that would handle our finances. But as our church grew and the giving came along with it, then all of a sudden we realized, man, we need some stricter protocols here. So we actually hired an accountant that oversees our HR and department. And we've submitted our finances under the leadership of an overseeing church. So now there's two sets of eyes on all the finances to make sure that we are governing and that we are stewarding wisely when it comes to your giving. Because, listen, we live in a day where people are so mistrusting. I mean, think about the government. I know you think about the government a lot, so let me talk to you about the government. They just recently lost $32 billion. Accounting error. Oops, you're welcome, Ukraine. Um, does that make you really excited to pay your taxes? Because the government is such good stewards of your finances. Like, like how, how long have they been working on I-10? It's still not finished. How much money have they wasted? Right? I mean, listen, if you want a good, encouraging word, consider, if I-10 can still be working on itself, you can still work on yourself too, right? <laughs> How much money is wasted by the government? If people don't trust the government with their taxes, they should be able to trust the church with their tithes. And we want to be the type of church to where people feel free to be able to give so freely. And so why is all of this important? Like why, why do you focus on money? Why do you talk about money? Why, why do you go through all these links and systems to be able to, to figure out the money? Well, here's the reason why. It's because money is fuel for the mission. Just imagine it like this. Let's say you're going to Disney World, right? You're like, yay, Disney World. And you get all the kids ready. You hype them up. Hey, hey, we're going to Disney World. It's going to be awesome. We're going to Disneyland. And the kids are excited. And they got their Mickey Mouse ears. And they're, they're, they can't wait to go see the, the princesses or go to Magic Mountain. It's the Magic Kingdom. And then you load them all up and you get in the car and it's... Oh, it's not starting. We figured, I planned everything. I got the rooms. I got the speedy pass. Oh, you forgot to put gas in the car. It doesn't matter where you're going. If you don't have any gas, you're not going to get there. It doesn't matter how great your destination is. If you don't have any gas, you ain't going to get there. It don't matter how great your intentions are. If you don't put gas in the car, you're not going to get there. That's all money is. Money is fuel for the mission. But instead of going to the magic kingdom, we got a greater kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And our God is better than a mouse. Amen. But there will be churros when you get to heaven. So here's what God's doing. 
God's gathering all of his kids. Hey, come on, kids, get in the car. Get in the car. Everybody, get in the car. You ain't my kid. I'll adopt you and take you anyway. Get in the car. We're going. But it needs fuel to be able to get there. And the fuel is the finances. And so the more we give, the more people meet Jesus. And as we give, the more room we have to grow. And as we give, the more lives are changed. And as we give, more people are baptized, more missionaries are being sent out, more leaders are being raised up, more kiddos are being, you know, dedicated in the church. As we give, we're able to see more lives change. It ain't about the money, it's about the mission. And money is nothing more than just fuel for the mission. And so with that being said, like, I want to close by talking to you about what God's doing here at Redemption. Because it's... I feel like I'm living the book of Acts right now. When it comes to the generosity of our church, I see exactly what I'm seeing in the book of Acts. I'm seeing radical generosity. You say, well, do people sell their houses? Actually, yeah, that happened. When it came to raising the funds for our our multiply initiative, we had had somebody who, who they took all of the funds that they had set aside for a down payment on their new home. They've been saving for years. The Lord said, if you take care of my house, I'll take care of your house. And they gave all of that towards our Multiply initiative. You say, well, I don't have that much. Well, we also have high school kids who are tithing off of their babysitting money. It's not about the size, it's about the sacrifice. It's about all of us working together to accomplish our goal. So some of you are new, and so I say the word Multiply, and you're like, I don't know what that means. Let me explain to you. So we started what is called a two-year generosity initiative. You can learn about it here on your way out. In addition, we have a financial review that's available. If you'd like to know where our finances went last year, you can grab this on your way out. We're not trying to hide anything from you. Transparency increases trust. But here's a guidebook. You can pick it up on your way out. You can learn a little bit more about redemption and where we're heading as a church. We started a two-year giving initiative to double our giving so that way we can reach more people. But we knew that it's so much bigger than a building. We didn't want to start just a building campaign because it's not about a building, it's about a church. And a church is not a building, a church is a family. A church is a people. And we knew that while God was constructing the physical building, he was building a spiritual house with inside of us. And so we knew it had to be bigger than a building. So we set this goal to do three things. The first thing was our church. All the ministries you know and love here about redemption, we're continuing those but we're going to do it with more excellence and we're gonna do it a little bit bigger as we move into our new building. Everything you see in this room this time next year will all be children's ministry and you and me will be moved over next door in a 600 seat sanctuary, which means we will not do four services, praise God. (laughs) We'll be back down to two with more room to reach more people. So, So that's our church. The second thing is, Man, if we put all of our money in the church, we wouldn't have the money to be able to bless the Hope Clinic today. We wouldn't be able to do our Turkey Day giveaway. We do every Thanksgiving where we feed uh, over 5,000 pounds of turkeys to families in need. 500 families every Thanksgiving are fed because of the generosity of our church. We're able to do those things because of the generosity of our of our people. We'll be a blessing to our community. Then number three, for our world. We've pledged $160,000 to missions over the next two years because we know that it's so much bigger than what God is doing here in Beaumont. It's about what God is doing across the world. 
and, and so we set this audacious goal of generosity and man, we, we didn't, we did the same thing that the early church did. It, is we didn't, we didn't go to people's houses and say, this is what you have to give. No, what did we do? We stood up here and we said, we want you to pray and ask God, what would you have me to give? And you went home and you prayed. And because you were spirit led, you gave out of the spirit. And we had a goal of $3 million. Well, we didn't hit the goal of 3 million. We actually were generous because generosity is what? Giving above the need. You didn't give 3 million, you committed $3.3 million over the next two years. Isn't that amazing? I feel like I'm living the book of Acts. I feel like, I, I, guys, we're doing the stuff. Like I'm not preaching this sermon because I'm like, you need to give. I'm saying, thank you because you understand God's view of money. Redemption Church, you're doing a great job. You're doing amazing. Praise God for you. Hallelujah. And so if you're here and you're giving, thank you. Keep up the great work. You're doing a great job. You're amazing. Here's where we're at. We started this in April. And since April, above our normal giving and above our budget, we have saved $434,000 towards the building. That's amazing. The total cost of the renovations will be 1.8. Our, our dream is that we'd be at 1 million by the end of the year. So we only have about halfway there by the end of the year, keep up the great work. This ain't time to take the foot off the gas because we still got to get to Disney. I mean, the kingdom, right? So I want to say thank you. 